We've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. And I want you to notice something that in Scripture you will never find a place of all the things where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. You will never find a place where he says there is an age requirement. There is nothing in the Bible that says you must be so old before this will work. Some of the things you will see in the Word of God is that Samuel moved in a, a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom at a very young age, very young boy, and yet he moved in this. The disciples operated in the gifts of healings that Jesus had bestowed upon them, and they went out and laid hands on, on people. They operated that, and they are estimated to be in their teens. Jesus was much older. He did not bring disciples in that were his age. He was a good bit older than, than them. Could have been their, their father almost. And he brought them in. No matter how old you are, the gifts of the Spirit can be an operation in your life. And I keep meaning to do this each time I do the outline and forget. But I've been wanting to map this out for you. And while the kids are here, I just you can write this down if you want to. But there's the gifts of the Spirit. God does not put them in these categories, but we have. There is no place in Scripture that puts them in these categories, but we have for the purpose of helping us to understand them better. So don't understand them from a godly standpoint, these three categories. Just understand it from an understanding standpoint. There are three categories of gifts of the Spirit. The first one is the gifts, the inspirational gifts. These are words where He inspires the things that we say. You will see this in the gift of prophecy. You will see this in the gift of tongues and in the gift of interpretation. There is also the gift of revelations, the gifts of revelation. In there, these are things where God has revealed things to us. And there you're going to see the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. Then we have a group we call the power gifts. The power gifts, there's, there's three of those as well. These are the gifts of healings, the working of miracles, and the gift of faith. All three of those categories basically have a starter gift. This is something that you can start on easy. Now, you, many of you who have been to my home, you know that I have a, a saltwater tank. And if you go into a saltwater fish store, I'm not talking freshwater. We're talking saltwater fish. How many of you have ever gone into a saltwater fish store? You seen, if you go into the saltwater fish store, you ask them, show me some starter fish. What that means is a fish that can overcome all the mistakes you're going to make. <laughs> and still survive and, and, and live. Plus, the saltwater tank has a far greater breaking period that is very stressful in all the living organisms in there and you have to get fish that can handle it and not all fish can and and so they have what they call starter fish and these are fish that are beautiful because there isn't really many saltwater fish that are not beautiful but they're beautiful but they're they're starter fish Uh, they're tough to kill it's possible you can kill them but they're a little harder than the other ones are. These are some starter gifts. These are gifts that it's easier for you to flow in. And when you flow in this gift, it seems like you can then flow in some of the other ones. The area of prophecy, just simply declaring to people words of encouragement, words of edification, words of exhortation. These are things you can receive from God. And young ones, you as well. You need to listen in your spirit for the words of encouragement that will come to you. And then you need to speak them out to the, to the people that you hear. There's also the word of knowledge and even the young ones ought to be mindful of this. God will reveal things that have happened and his perspective on it that have gone on in your life. He will tell you things that have happened that will impact you that you haven't seen yet. 
He'll tell you these things. Be listening for it. Last week, we're looking at the gifts of healings. Do you know, no matter what age you are, this gift can be on you? And understand, when God gives the gifts, He gives them at birth. You may not discover them, but they're there. If you don't do anything to flow in them, you'll never know it. But if you do the things that are necessary to flow in them, you will find them. People can have gifts and just never know it. If you had the, you know, a gift I can appreciate, if you had the gift of running, my grandson, he has the gift of running. All you got to do is watch him for a little while. You'll see he has the gift of running. He just loves to run. He just can't, he can't walk anywhere. He's got to run there. I can appreciate that. <laughs> He's got the gift of running. And, um, you know, I know the day's coming. We're going to go out there. He's going to go with, with grandpa and we're going to go and we are going to pick out a pair of running shoes <laughs> and we're going to be running together. I know that day is coming. It's just not here just yet. They just don't make running. She's got to get his feet a little bit bigger. And, but uh, when they do, we'll be able to, to have that. But he's got that, that gift. Now, if he never ran anywhere, he'd never know it. If you never do the things that are in the gift that you have, you'll never know it. In the gift of healings, if you don't go out there and lay hands on the general call to lay hands on people, you'll never know if you have a gift of healing. So you ought to do that. And, and little ones, don't be waiting for mom and dad to go over there. My daughter, she got, we got called into the prison principal's office one time. She'll remember this story. Cause she was disobedient. According to the school. We were proud as peacocks. I mean, <laughs> we were thrilled. We got called into the principal's office and uh, you had to, to speak with your daughter because uh, someone had gotten hurt on the playground and she went over and laid hands on them. And they, this school didn't necessarily go along those lines. We did. But they didn't necessarily go along. They didn't uh, necessarily want on their, uh, their campus, uh, little kids going around laying hands on people. And so we didn't, uh, we didn't say that we would speak to her. We kind of, that's, that's really cool that she would do that. <laughs> You're calling us in because you want, you want us to speak to her because she laid hands on somebody. I thought, you know, some people lay hands on them suddenly. And you could see where that might be a problem. But she didn't do that. She went, she got hurt. They were there laying hands on them. Young ones, be looking for opportunities. Don't just wait for mom and dad to get on the scene. Go out there and lay hands on them. And, and expect that God will move through these gifts. Understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit have absolutely nothing to do with you. So it does not matter how old you are. How much of the word you know. All that matters is that you do what God said to do. There are people that are much older that have never done the things necessary to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But you can operate no matter how old you are. So make sure that you're out there. And so we wanted to stay on this series, but I wanted to make this something that is uh, useful for the young ones, keeps their attention. And so we're going to look at a, a story. We've actually referred to this but uh, a few times, but have not looked at it in its entirety since the year 2015. And it's a good story. Tells us a lot about the things in the in the gifts. In particular, what we're going to try and do over these next couple of weeks is to tell you the difference between the gifts of healings, the working of miracles, and the gift of faith. It is easier to tell a difference between the working of miracles and the gifts of healings than it is to tell the difference between the gift of faith and the working of miracles. I'm going to show you why that is, but we're not going to get into that here uh, today. But we are going to get into 
and to some of these other things. So if you will, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, or just look up on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. Doesn't it seem like everything happens on one day? <laughs> I mean, no matter what happens in your life, it happened one day. When you're just going about your normal thing. In the New Testament, it says suddenly. Disciples are out there on the boat, and suddenly a storm came upon them. Jesus is out there just walking, and suddenly somebody came upon him. Things happen in the New Testament suddenly. In the Old Testament, it seems like it happened one day. Now, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. Now, she was notable, and you'll see some of the reasons why as the story uh, goes on here. But she was. this means that of the people that were there, this is somebody that everybody knew. And she was involved in a lot of things. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that, th- that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small ro- upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So they're going to make a room now. He would come into this town and he would always be asked, to uh, come in here, she would she would find him, and she's a notable woman, and she would see he was a notable person, notable figure in the in the uh, in the gospel, in the message of, of God. He was a man of God, and she saw this, and so she wanted to do something. She wasn't so notable that she says he needs to do something for me. Some people that are notable, they have an idea that you ought to be doing stuff for them, but she was notable, and she looked for something to do for him. And so she persuaded him to come in and eat. Now you can see how this goes, can't you? Oh, come with me. You need to eat something. Come with me. I'll take care of you. Don't bother going into the restaurant. No, come on over here. Come with me and we'll go. And if you're Elisha, you don't know who this this woman is. She's just trying to get you to come into the house. She's probably going to talk my ear off. Probably going to tell me all kinds of stories. Maybe it is that she wants something. And um, so she would come, he would come over to her house. And she'd feed him, and apparently she was a good enough cook that he came back. But he didn't seem to be, she didn't seem to be asking for anything. She just seemed to want to take care of him. Because he was coming into the town. Appreciated him coming into the town, and she would take care of him. And so after a little while, uh, she said, well, I'm not content with just making him dinner. Or lunch, or whatever meal was up. I'm not content with that. I want to do something more. And so she began to investigate, uh, what about putting a room up over here in this part of the house? We can build this room in there. He can have his own entrance. We'll, we'll give him his own bed, a table, chair. And that's just the room for Elisha. Nobody else uses this room. This is just his room. And so she comes over to the husband. Husband didn't think about this. He's got enough projects around the house. His wife's coming to him. He says, I want to do this particular room. And she comes and she, she talks to him about it because guess who's building it? He is. She's not building it. This is her idea. She's just empowering the idea. And she's uh, calling this in. She knows what her place is. And apparently she does the making of the food. It's not that all women just, that's all they do. It's just, that's what this woman did. She was very involved in, in this and somehow involved a lot in the town. Not just, she wasn't just in the kitchen all the time. She was also involved in the town. But it doesn't seem like building was her, something that she would do. There are women that are builders, but this one was probably not. She, uh, she had skills in other places, but her husband had these skills. That's why she brought him in. She knows who to talk to to get things done. She was a notable woman. 
And so they built this, this room. And it happened one day that he came there, he turned into the upper room and he lay down there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, "Stay, uh, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want to speak to me on your behalf? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? Because he knows all these people. Now, if you're a notable person in the town, getting notarized or noticed by other people that are even more important than the people in the town, this is good. This is usually something that they would they would want. But she said, no, no, I'm doing good. We don't need any of that. And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And so he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So probably how this goes, comes about is... She's a, he's in the room. He calls her up there. He asks her some questions. And she says, no, I'm, I'm good. And so he's then brainstorming with Gehazi. Gehazi, what can we do for this woman? She has been so kind and so gracious, but she has never asked for a thing. What is it that we can do? And so Gehazi's thinking and he says, well, you know, she doesn't have any kids. Most women want to have kids. Now, maybe you'll run into some women today who don't want to have kids but back then, you didn't run into that too much. <laughs> they all needed to have kids because, you know, you needed people to work on the farm or the or the whatever's going on there. And this is how you passed on their legacy. And especially for the Jewish people, legacy was huge. Passing on the inheritance. These were even more, uh, something they were more mindful of than we are. And so actually she has no son and her husband is old. So this would tell you, well, they apparently were trying to have kids and it didn't happen. The woman, just she just never seemed to ask anything. She makes this room. Again, she does so with her husband. Not against her husband. She does it with it. But she has no need. Can you imagine being a person who has no needs? You don't need a thing. Now, this is either a person who is very well off, but even well off people, you know, they have a boat, they need a bigger boat. They have a car, they need a bigger car. Or they need a, a relic car. Or they... Uh, need a bigger team, whatever it is, you know, just because you have money doesn't mean that you will have everything that you need. You can always find some things that you don't. So it may not be that she has a lot of money, but she certainly has enough to be comfortable and to just make an addition on a, on a house for an extra room at, on a whim. She's able to, to do this, has no trouble with feeding the, the prophet whenever he's in town. So it doesn't seem like money is an issue for her. But can you imagine having no needs? That if somebody comes to you and says, what can I do for you? Uh, nothing. I'm good. Hmm. And if you thought, well, I don't have a son. I don't have a, a, a young man. And how many times in the Bible has it been talked about that people who had no children suddenly had one? Abraham was one. Hannah was another. And there are other people in the, in the Bible. They uh, overcame barrenness. By a, a miracle. I, I don't know if I got a man of God in the house and he's asked me, what do you want? And I know that some miracles have been going on. I know that he sat at the feet of Elijah and did some. I'm thinking if that's something that's on my mind bugging me all the time, I probably would talk to him about it. But no, I'm fine. I'm good. And so they're brainstorming among themselves. What should we do for her? What should we do? So after he, Gehazi comes up with this, he says, so, uh, so call her. So he called her, and when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. 
Interesting that she's standing in the doorway. Who built this room? They did. Who owns the room? They do. But she only comes up to the doorway. She doesn't even enter into the room. This is Elisha's room. We've built it for him. We've given it to him. Unless I need to come in here and clean something. This is your room. She doesn't come in. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, what this will tell you right here is that this woman had asked God for it before. And it was not, uh, she didn't get it. She didn't have a son. She didn't overcome the barrenness. She didn't overcome whatever the problem was for her not having a baby. That wasn't overcome. And so her hopes had been up. But now they're, they're way down here. Don't, don't get my hopes up again. I've been going through. I don't, I'm not mindful of what I don't have. I'm just thrilled with what God has blessed us with. Don't be getting my hopes up for something. Now he says to her about this time next year. Now how long does it take for a baby to be made? It takes about nine months for that baby to grow in, in, in there. So that's three months away before she's getting pregnant. Because it's going to be about a year. So it's not like he is doing something, waving his hand, making a prayer, declaring, and all of a sudden she's healed, and now the, the baby can come. It's something that's down the road. But he says, this is what's going to happen a year from now. And she says, oh, don't, don't you get my hopes up. That's basically what she's trying to say. Now, Elisha delivers this word of a promise from the very room that they built. He's in the room. She's at the doorway. And he declares this promise from the room that she built. And this woman responds with great unbelief. This is a great woman, but she responds with unbelief. Uh-uh. Don't you get my hopes up. <laughs> that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. Nothing, nothing worse than you believe in God for something. It doesn't happen for whatever the reasons that it didn't happen. Somehow it didn't happen. And then you come to terms with it. Well, I'm just not going to have that. And then somebody comes along and says, Thus says the Lord. Hmm. So she's got some unbelief going on there. But verse 17 says, The woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. Huh. Now, is this a miracle or is this from the gift of healing? Is this a miracle? Or is this a healing? Because we ought to be able to tell the difference. Now, healing is generally administered by, for those of you who weren't here before, I wrote these down so I can make sure I give them to you completely. But a healing, the gifts of healing are administered in the Word. What we have for examples in the Word. First off, they spoke the Word. And the gift of healing was administered. Secondly, there was a laying on of hands. There was a point of contact. Third, there was obedience to instructions. They would tell them, go and do this. Go wash in this pool. Go wash in this river. There were instructions that were given and healing was there. The, the lepers were told, go show yourselves to the priest. Nobody, no point of contact. Go show yourself to the priest. And they went. So there was speak the word. There was a laying on of hands or a point of contact. There was obedience to instruction. And the fourth way we only see mentioned, uh, uh, just the one time that uh, mentions about the uh, extraordinary miracles that were done. Handkerchiefs or aprons were taken from the body of the preacher 
and they were sent over to the people who needed the healing or the demons to be uh, to be gone. And when those aprons and when those uh, handkerchiefs would touch them, now the handkerchiefs were generally carried by the woman, and the aprons were by the guys. And what the, what you would find here, this is this uh, Rick Renner, I think, was the one who shared this with us because he's able to find some interesting things on the history of this. But if you don't know this one yet, the aprons were actually the, the things that the men would wear. We would call them like leather aprons. And they would put this on while they were doing the work. And sometimes they worked in places that made things that were not always the best, that we would not consider to be the best of things. And they would take those aprons and give them to the to the man who is the man of God there. He would uh, lay hands on them. He would carry them with him when he was preaching, whatever it would be. And then they would send them out. And as soon as that apron, as soon as that handkerchief touched the person, the demon spirit would go. That's pretty amazing. But these are the ways that we saw the gifts of healings administered. And sometimes you might think, well, the gift of healing is, is good, but if the sickness or disease is too great, then we have the working of miracles. How many have ever thought that if the, the sickness was too great, that the working of miracles would kick in? Anybody think that? And yet every single time in the Word of God where the gift of healing is in operation, it is always sufficient. There is absolutely nothing as far as diseases or sicknesses for which the gift of healing will not fix. The only hindrance to it is the faith of the person administering it. There was an incident where in Mark chapter 9 where the disciples had gone out and this um, Jesus is up in the Mount of Transfiguration. And they brought an epileptic to the disciple, to the nine disciples that were there. Then they apparently did exactly the same thing that Jesus had done. Jesus didn't do anything different. It does not seem that Jesus operated any different gift than they operated in, just the simple gift of healing. And then got into the working of miracles or any, any of that. And they said to him, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because of your unbelief. The gift of healing can be hindered by the amount of unbelief in you who God is working through or the person that is receiving. You remember in Capernaum, Jesus had gone in Capernaum and it said he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they recovered. He couldn't operate in the gift of healing. He could only operate in the general gift of laying on of hands. Because of their unbelief, it turned it off. So unbelief can turn the gift of healing off in these particular areas. Now, that same thing won't take place in the working of miracles and the, and the gift of faith. And we'll, we'll see that as we get into more detail on those. But healing is administered in these ways. Speak the word, laying on of hands, obedience to instructions and handkerchiefs or aprons. There is no case when we saw the gift of healing operating that it ever worked the way that it worked right here with Elisha. Because Elisha does not lay his hands on this person. He does not give her any instructions for which she must obey. He doesn't speak the word over her. What he does is he declares what's going to happen in the future. He declares what's coming. So there's almost a word of wisdom that comes in there. But you're going to see the working of miracles. And the difference between the working of miracles, one of the big differences between the working of miracles and the gifts of healings is that healings are more than sufficient to take care of anything that has been caused by sickness or disease. 
But there are times when something else has come into place. There are times that people were born blind. They were born lame. Something was not right from the beginning. It, the body was not uh, made completely. Sin got incorrupted. Whatever the reason that it was, somehow the eyes were, were missing. This parts in the ears are missing. And so from the time they were born, they don't hear. When you see that, you need more than the gift of healing. You need some restoration to be done. And that's where the working of miracles can come in. The working of miracles is not just limited to sickness, disease, or things that are caused, I'm sorry, not, not sick, things that are, are ailments. I'll put it to you that way. They're not just limited to that. Miracles will go over into other areas. And we'll find that more as we, we look into those. I want you to see the difference between the two here. The gifts of healings will take care of anything that sickness and disease has done. Including, it would seem, when lepers were, had their flesh eaten away. That gift of healing would even take care of the restoration of the flesh that was, that was missing. But when you need a creative miracle, something to uh, put eyes where they were not, or parts of the eyes that were not completely formed, we need to have them formed. God has a way for that, and that is the working of miracles. And so what you have here is that either in this woman or this man, something is not formed correctly. Because they've not ever had been able to have children. And he never deals with who the, the problem was with or whether the problem was with both. He just simply goes on and says, this uh, about this time next year, about a year from now, this is what's going to happen. And so over that time, this is going to be done. This is the miracle that is to create whatever is missing from going on. So he makes a declaration. This is something we don't see in the gift of healing. We don't just see a declaration. We're given instructions, but we're not necessarily told something like this. About this time next year, this will happen. Now, the gifts of healings. I think, did I give you some blanks there or did I, did I leave them intact? Oh, that's the, I gave you, I think I left in, intact the, the parts of the gift of healings. The work, work of anything, can, any condition caused by sickness or disease. Should be any condition. Sorry about that extra anything. We don't need that. And even those due to demonic activity. That would be the gifts, gifts of healing. The gift is always sufficient, though sometimes people operate in them without or with insufficient faith. But here when we get into the working of miracles. First off, it is used in healings of conditions from birth or where restoration is needed, such as from an accident. People had an accident and there was an injury and there's a restoration. Uh, you'll a lot of times see the working of miracles in place there because we're not looking to be healed from a sickness or disease. And then this can, this is right there. Now this is not to try and complicate it. This is just to show you no matter what it is that you have faced in life, God has a gift to take care of it. The working of miracles is always used in the raising the dead to life. The working of miracles is always used in the raising the dead to life. It's also evident in altering the natural course of things. There are times when this is how things should go, but a miracle has stepped in to change that and to alter it. It is administered by speaking the word and declaring, as it is the case here, what will come to pass. This is mostly how we see it. We'll look into some other ways as we get in more into the to the gift, but we want to stay with our our narrative here. Verse 18. 
And the child grew. Well, that's what they do. Childs, they grow. Now it happened one day. There we see that phrase again. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to a servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Now I sometimes like to try and find out what the... Uh, Jewish brothers and sisters have to say about some of these things because sometimes they carry some things through their traditions that give us some light on some of this, but I didn't find too much. I found some people who were looking at this and said that the sun was out under the sun and the sun probably bothered him. Uh, he got like a heat stroke and not sure that that's, that's possible, but he's out in the field. Generally, if that's going to occur to you, you're out someplace where you can't get away from the sun. I don't know about, about you, but uh, I don't mind working in the heat, but when you get under that sun, whew, boy, that can that can take it out of you. I know sometimes in running, I would I would schedule to run like twelve, one, two o'clock when the sun was the highest and hottest, just to be out there in the heat because you don't train in the heat, you can't race in the heat. So I would always try and run in the the hottest part. I remember a few times though that I'd get out there and that sun was beating down. You go out there in the two o two bypass, there is no shade between the hours of somewhere around 10 o'clock in the morning until uh, almost 4 in the afternoon. If you get out there and you, you run on the 202 bypass, the little path they got there, it is sun the whole way. And I remember a couple of times I was out there in that sun, and boy, I'll tell you what, I thought, yeah, I thought it might be over. <laughs> but uh, there's always some places you can go, and all you got to do is stop, you know, and that most of that is, is taken care of. Uh, but here we're out there in the field, and if something like this was going on, I, I kind of suspect that uh, they had ways to take care of this way before it got to be a problem, that they would have uh, recognized this. So I, I kind of throw that one out. And I noticed that there was a, a, a lot of notes that people make about this word dead. And they said that uh, actually this boy wasn't dead. He was unconscious and his breathing had, uh, had changed. That he didn't die until later on in the story. And so I went back and looked over this, and uh, my main thing is I always look at the text. What is written in the scripture? And then if we have to, we go out there and we look at some other things that, that are going on. But take a look at this in verse 21. I think this will help you understand what's going on in the situation. He sat on her knees, finishing off 20, till, till noon, and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Now, nobody goes in this room. She didn't even go in the room when he called her. She doesn't go in there except maybe to clean it up and get it ready for him. But she goes in there and puts the dead boy on the, the bed. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Now, put yourself in the mom's position. For some of you, that'll be real easy. For us guys, you have to kind of imagine. But put yourself in a, in a mom's position. Not a dad's position. A mom's position. Dads are made to compartmentalize a little bit more. We're able to say, you know, alright, well, we're working on this. I'm not dealing with that right now. <laughs> I'm on this. And we just focus in on that. And that's, that's, uh, why, the, you know, men are, can be real, real good at certain things because it needs that complete focus and you can't have problems in your life messing with you right now. I gotta focus completely on this and you're able to do that. But women seem to be able to be in touch with all things at all times. 
I've heard the example given before. Men, they walk into a room and then they leave the room. And when you leave the room, you're out of the room. I'm not in that room. I'm in this room now. You have, you have different rooms in your house. And most, most guys, we have a room that's empty. How many guys know what I'm talking about? We have a room that's empty. Yeah, we get nothing in that room. When we're in that room, we're not doing nothing. Your wife will come up, what are you thinking about? Nothing. She don't believe you. But what do we guys know? Yep, I'm thinking about nothing. I'm just here. Because <laughs> we've got a room with nothing in it. And we sometimes just go into that room so that we can rejuvenate for when we have to get out into the room with something. But right now, we're in the room with nothing. <laughs> nothing here. And we just, we can do that. Women, they can't understand that because they don't, they don't have any rooms with nothing. All their rooms have something into it and they all have intercoms in the other rooms. Because if you're in the kitchen, I know what's going on up in the bedrooms. I know what's going on over here in the dining room. I know what's going on outside. I know what's going on all over. We men that would drive us crazy. I don't want to know what's going on all over. I want to know what's going on in the kitchen because that's where I am. <laughs> if I'm in the den, I'm doing den stuff. If I'm in the study, I'm doing study stuff. If I'm in the workshop, I'm doing workshop stuff. I'm not in the workshop doing kitchen stuff. I don't do that. Men, when they're in that room, that's what they do. That's how God made them. Women, don't try and change them. You won't be able to. And you get frustrated. You also frustrate him. Don't do it. Men, just understand. Women are tied into things. You can you can completely isolate yourself from the other room. She can't. There's, and it's uh, it's how the brains are, are wired. And you, know, you can get in all the technic- technicality of that. But uh, we're not going to. But understand this from a women's point of view. And look at the rest of this, this scripture here. So, they carried him to his mother. He wasn't even able to walk. She sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went and laid him on the bed. And the man of God shut the door upon him and went out. Called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. As a woman, as a mom who now has a son and it's your only son, would you leave your sick, dying son to go on a trip? Ever. Is there any conditions in which your sick and dying son would leave your lap or your presence for you to go somewhere? I'm not talking just sick. We're talking about sick and dying. Would that mom leave that son for any other purpose? Except that the son had died? Because if the son had died, what good is it for mom to stay here? I cannot see any possible motivation for this mom leaving the son unless he is completely dead. So all the people want to write about he's not dead, he's unconscious, his breathing changed. And, no, it's garbage. Because I know he's dead because mom left him. Because I know no mom who held him on her lap that whole time, she is not putting him down. And if, if he was still alive, she doesn't put him in the man of God's bed. She puts him in his bed. And she's going to put him anywhere. Something changed. And she's about to go take care of it. Why didn't she just go to the man of God when he was alive? Because can you as a mom leave your son or daughter 
when that son is, is dying. Remember the nobleman's, the story of the nobleman came to Jesus, my son is dying. Guess why the dad came? Because mom's back there with the kid. <laughs> you go. I'm staying here. <laughs> He's still alive. She's not leaving. That's how moms are wired. Now dads, we can get, alright, if I need to go and get something, I can leave the sick and dying child and go get something. We're more, more equipped to be able to do that. But not moms. The God just didn't make you that way. And it's fine. It's good. Don't try and change that. Don't ever try and change how God made you. God made you that way for a reason. That's why all these people want to change. I was born a boy. I'm going to become a girl. Or I'm born a girl. I'm going to become a boy. Don't change what God made. It will mess with you. What they don't tell these folks is that most of these people that they undergo these changes, they don't live very long. They commit suicide. They die from other complications. It's not a good life for them. Don't follow after that. What God did is good. The enemy wants to come along and tell you, you're not really a girl. That's the enemy. Don't listen to him. And if anybody wants to come along and tell you anything different, don't listen to them. Get away from them. So she laid him on the man of God. She gets a donkey. She wants to run to the man of God and come back. So he said, this, this is a logical question. I mean, if your wife is going to come to you and say, I need to go see the man of God, we usually wait for the man of God to come here. Why are we going? Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. There's no reason to go see the man of God. And she said, it is well. Now she'll say this a few more times. In English, this is three words. Everybody say it with me. It is well. To the Hebrews, it's not. It's one word. Anybody know what that word is? Shalom. It is one word. All she says is shalom. It's one word in the Hebrew. For us, it's three. We need three words to make up for it. Now, you've all heard that word shalom before. That's what it means. It is well. And that's what she's saying. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Does it sound like mama's in a hurry? And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, It is, is it well with you? Shalom. It is well with your husband. Shalom. It is well with the child. So we're saying, Shalom for each of these. And she answered, guess what she said? Shalom. That's what she says. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems that for most people, that whenever something bad goes on, how many can think of something bad that happened in your life, let's just say this year? You have to say what it is. Anybody, nothing, nothing bad at all? The whole year. That's pretty good. The whole, anybody has something bad that went on this year? It seems like whenever we have something that is bad that has gone on, our attention, our focus is always drawn to something. We are drawn very easily to the ministry we have given. When lost, we encounter. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever something bad goes on, something happens in the area of health, something happens in the area of finances, something happens with my job. How many times are we tempted? I'm not saying you think this, 
But how many times does it come to your mind? Are you tempted to think, but God, look at all I have done. Look at all I am doing. We're tempted to look at the ministry we had done. I'm sure it probably comes to her mind, but God, look at how we treated your man. We fed him. We got a room for him. We take care of him every time he's in town. Why does this happen? Why does this go on? And we could ask those questions. But as far as we can tell, all that she is, is thinking on and saying is, Shalom. It is well. Don't let your, don't let your attention be easily drawn to the things you have done for God. Now look at her, look at her stability. This woman has a lot of stability. Some women are not stable at all. That's not a thing with just women. I know some men. They are not stable at all. You can be a man, you can be a woman, and you can be completely unstable. Being stable is not gender related. You can be stable as a woman, and you can be stable as a man. And you can be unstable as a woman, and you can be unstable as a man. Just understand the things that are trying to pull you from your stability differ between the man and the woman. But they still try and pull you down. They want to get you away from that stability. They don't want you to have that. But look at this. How many of you, if you can picture being in this situation, are ready to start bawling? Blaming God. Yelling at God. How many of us in that situation are willing to do these kind of things? But she doesn't. She goes over and she lays them on the bed of the man of God. She closes the door so no one else sees. Why do you think she does that? Why do you think she tells not her husband, not the servants, puts him in a room by himself, in a room no one goes in? Why do you think she does that? Because I'm not dealing with where you're at on this. I don't want to have to deal with your fear and all your worry and all your words of doubt and all your words of blaming God. I don't want to deal with that. I'm battling this thing myself and I do not need to help you and yours. So we're just going to keep you from this. So she kept it from her husband, from the servants, from everybody, until she got to where she wanted to go and that's the man of God. I'm not doing with anything. I don't want to hear no one else's unbelief. Haven't you ever been there with that? You're going through something? I don't want to hear nobody else's unbelief. I don't want to hear anybody else saying, well, of course that happened to you because you're doing this or you're not doing this. I told you how to take those pills. If you took those pills, we don't need to hear all that sort of stuff. So we isolate them. We get them out of that. If I'm dealing with some things myself, I don't want to necessarily deal with yours. I got to deal with my own. Now you can say that's selfish. That's not selfish. Right now, the woman who's, the person who's going to benefit this house the most is that woman right there. I don't think it would be the husband. That woman right there is the one who's going to benefit this house the most. And so she says, I need to push all that other stuff aside. I need to keep myself in the right place. It's kind of like the airlines. When they give you those instructions in the beginning, who do they tell you to take care of first? Yourself. Because if you pass out, you'll be no good to your kids. So you got to put your mask on first. Then go over there and start dealing with the, with the child. Because you can help the child... When your mask is on. But if you pass out, that child doesn't know what to do to help you. So that's why you do that. This is what she's doing. She's taking care of herself here. 
So she goes out of the house. She asks the young man to take care of the, the donkey, does all that sort of stuff. All she'll say is, it is well. Now Gehazi, he misses whatever it is that Elisha sees. Now he may just not be very observant, or maybe there's a gift that was involved that was showing Elisha some things, but he saw that she was troubled. Apparently, the husband did not see that she was troubled. Now he knows her pretty good, but she apparently was pretty pretty doggone good at keeping this thing away from the husband. So we can't just fault Gehazi and say, well, he's clueless. He might be. But we can't just fault him for being clueless on the basis of that. Because she kept it from a lot of people. Until she gets to the feet of Elisha, and then she kind of loses it. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me has not told me. We use that verse as we're looking at the word of knowledge. That he expected to operate in understanding these things and did not hear. That's how often he floated in this gift. Now verse 28. I got to read this from the screen because my mind didn't copy over right. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? I didn't ask for this. I told you, don't get my hopes up. I didn't ask for something to have that I could pour all this love into and then it'd be gone. I didn't want this. I was fine before. <laughs> you messed it up. <laughs> I think she wants to say. <laughs> but um, we go on. Verse 29. Then he said to Gehazi. See, we're getting to the meat of what we need to see here for these gifts. Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand. And be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. So Gehazi, I imagine, is younger and moves at a faster pace. Uh, apparently, Elisha does not move that fast. Whatever his age is at this point, he doesn't seem to be be all that quick in in moving. And I looked at some of the timelines. This only this by some of the timelines only occurs about five years after he was called. After Elisha was called, I don't know where they get the information from for all the because I can't find anything on it. So that's why I'm telling you the people who put these timelines together that apparently is. Is out there. There's some that try and put the timeline in the chronological order of the chapters, but you can't do that because this is not a chronological area of the Bible. This is an area that's telling you the different things that have happened, not necessarily the order in which they happened. Now, Gehazi was the apprentice of Elisha, um, of Elisha, just as Elisha was the apprentice of Elijah. So he's younger and he's sent on ahead because younger people move faster than older people do. But look at this, verse 31. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child and there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him. So he gets all the way there, messes with the situation and then comes back and meets them. Doesn't, uh, doesn't stay there. 
Now, in verse, go back one more verse, verse 30. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I'm staying right here with you, making sure you don't get, nobody pulls you off in another direction. This is top priority right here. <laughs> and I'm going to stay right here with you. But look at the next part. She arose, so he arose and what? Followed her. Which means, who's going faster? She's going faster. She's pulling him along. We're going to make sure that you get there. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. we got to get going. You know, some people, they just walk slow. I don't know if you noticed that, but some people just walk slow. I'm a fast walker. I slow down when I'm walking with somebody, but usually not enough. My wife will tell me all the time, slow down, slow down, slow down. And I'm thinking, I did. That's what I think. I did. I did slow down. I'm not walking. If you see me walking when I'm by myself, look out. Because it's, I get behind, I was in the, in Lowe's yesterday. I had to get something uh, cut. And I'm walking, I had to get over here. And all of a sudden, this older man, older than me, <laughs> older man, he gets in front of me. And I'm going from my pace to all of a sudden, I'm looking for the opportunity. I'm looking for the place. Now, this is not just something of an age thing. When I was in high school, I walked faster than anybody in the hallways. Every single person in the hallway slowed me down, and they would frustrate me. I would get angry. I I began to get almost like a football mentality, walking through the hallways in high school. I'd be looking for that opening. There's an opening. It's going to come open right there. All right. And I'd shoot the gap. And I'd get there just as that thing would open. And the people would move. And I'd get right there in between them. And then I'd be looking for the next gap. Where's the next gap? And I have nothing to get to. I get to get to get to class. Everybody else has to get to class. But I just I just got to get there fast. And so I'm always walking fast, fast, fast. Wherever I'm going, I'm walking fast. I was at the used car dealership. And the guys around there were, were working on the used cars. They would look at me and they'd go around and say, How are you not exhausted by the end of the day? Because I'm not just walking fast between things. I'm going between lots. And I'm running from this lot over to this lot. And then when I'm done there, I run from there back over to here. And I got dress shoes on, a tie, a shirt, dress pants. It don't matter. I'm running. I go over there. I run back over here. I just like to do things fast. Up here, I'm walking. This is slow for me. This is the slow walk. I like to, when I get going, I want to get to that place quick. This mom wants to get to that place quick. She is dragging him along. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. She's, he's following her. He knows where he's going. How many times has he been there? He knows exactly where he's going. He don't need her to lead him, but she's dragging him along. Let's go, let's go. But he sends Gehazi on ahead. And it's taking him a long enough time that Gehazi gets done and comes on back. So he gives... Gives Gehazi instructions, but life was not, not restored. So why send them? Why should you send Gehazi when nothing was, was going to be done? Now Gehazi is a prophet in training. Now he failed the training process and so he drops out and he picked up le- leprosy. You all know the story. He, uh, he fell out and so he's no longer in apprenticeship, but he's an apprentice right now. He's learning how to become a prophet. If you are going to be an apprentice for a prophet, what skills must you have? Prophet is set apart in the area of, of, uh, of ministry. A prophet in particular has the revelation gifts going on. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, 
you got to at least see a word of knowledge in a guy that you want to see moving in this area. But prophets very often, especially in the Old Testament, operated in the power gifts. And you will see the gifts of healings operating inside the prophet. And you will see the working of miracles operating inside the prophet. When you think of miracles in the Old Testament, who is, who is kind of the poster boy? Elijah would be one. How about another one? Anybody think of Moses? <laughs> Moses is going, I think of, but Elisha's probably right there with him. What was the, what was the ministry role of Moses? What was, what was he called? What was he, what did God call him? He was in the family of Levites, but was he called a priest? No, he was a, the other P word. He was a prophet. God even said, other prophets, I don't speak to the same way I speak to this prophet. He was a prophet. He operated and then we saw the gift of working of miracles. Elisha, working of miracles. You can list other prophets and, and things that went on, but you'll see very much the prophets in the Old Testament, and more so than the New Testament, but the prophets in the Old Testament operated in the power gifts. So, if you are Elisha and you served under Elijah, what kind of things are you looking for in someone who want you want to bring along as an apprentice? Would it not be the power gifts and the revelation gifts? And the entry level in the power gifts is gifts of healings. Gehazi had to be flowing in the gifts of healings in order for him to even get Elisha's attention. He sends Gehazi on because he operates in the gifts of healings to begin to do some things before he gets there. And he says, take my staff because that's Elisha's staff. And this is what you do. And he did those things. But you see the gift of healing, or the, gift, the gifts, gifts of healings that were on Gehazi were insufficient to take care of the death. And so no change had gone on. So a lot of times people put pressure on folks that just lost somebody. Well, you just need to stand and believe God. If the gifts of healings are insufficient to bring one back from the dead, the general use of laying on the hands isn't going to do it either. But God still does it. But you just got to understand how he, what he has on, in place to do this and to bring this about. So Gehazi went on ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. Oh, just another note on this. How many times did Jesus send the disciples into situations to pray for the sick? Quite a few, aren't it? How many times did Jesus send the disciples into a situation to raise the dead? It's not a single time, is it? In fact, when Jesus was there to raise Lazarus, does he have his disciples involved? Why? Because the gift of the working of miracles is needed. And Jesus knows that's on him. And he steps out to use it. But we'll get more into that in the weeks to come. So I would say that Gehazi probably flowed in the gifts of healings and probably flowed in the word of knowledge. Can't say that for sure. But I think uh, there's some pretty good evidence that he, he more than likely did. Verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. 
And he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. The two of who? It would seem that either the, the woman came in with them or it's the son. I kind of think it's the son. Because I think they're still seeing the son as alive. And so he, he's in there. Not He is dead. Don't get me wrong. But he still sees the, the life being called back into him. So when Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Now, in case anybody gets bothered by a grown man laying himself out on top of this, this child, it worked. There's only one way this is going to work, and that's if God got involved. I don't pick on people that had success on something that you don't normally have success on. So, this is what he did. But the child became warm. But apparently that's all that he did. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. So get this. Elisha's coming into the room, closes the door. Nobody can see what he's doing. Stretches himself out in the child. Stays in there for a little while, ministering to him. And all we have, only success we have is the body became warm, but apparently he's not breathing. Now that can freak you out. The body has become warm, like it is alive, but it's not breathing. And it's not moving. And so he gets up. And he goes and he walks around the house. Now, if you're the mom and you're seeing him walking around the house, you getting a little concerned? Is he alive? Well, what do you say? Not yet. Well, sorta. I don't know what you say, but you know she's asking some questions. Why are you not up there in the room? Get up there in the room. I don't know if she's, I don't know what kind of things are going on. He's out there walking around in the house. If he wants to be left alone, he can stay up there in the room. But he came down and started walking around the house. Maybe he's in, in, involving them somehow. You know, let's have a little bit of a worship service here. I don't know what kind of things went on. We have to wait till we get to heaven and get the videotape and, uh, and watch that. But then he goes back up in the room and he does the same thing. Apparently that's all that God told him to do. So he goes up there and he does it again. If God told him to do something else, he would have done it. But apparently God didn't tell him to do anything else. So he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him and the child sneezed seven times. Well, that's a fun number. Didn't sneeze six times. and Didn't sneeze eight times. Sneezed seven. Who's counting? Elisha counted. Now, if you're the mom, how many of you know you're in earshot to hear something? You hear a sneeze seven times. I'm sure it's, oh, he sneezed. That's my boy sneeze. Because you all, moms, you know what, the, what your boy sounds like sneezing. You don't get it confused with anybody else's sneeze. That's his sneeze. You know your kids how they sneeze. Some people sneeze really weird. And there's, we have one relative high-pitched sneeze. It didn't even seem like it was a complete sneeze. Just this high-pitched partial sneeze. 
That's how she sneezed. I don't even know how to do it. But she did it naturally. Everybody's got a different sneeze. And he called to Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. How far do you think he had to go? Call her. I think he could have just called her himself. But he calls Gehazi because he likes working through the assistant. Elijah, Elijah, not so much. But Elisha, he likes working through the assistants. He likes uh, having them to, to do the things. So he called her. And when she came into him, now before she came to the doorstep, now she's coming in. He said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. Now, she didn't say what we heard people say before. Now I know you're a man of God. <laughs> she knew he was a man of God before. But now she didn't, she didn't make that confession here in this, this spot. That's why she went to him. Because she knew that he was a man of God. Now, there's a progression here that you need to see. But I wanted to give you some notes here on the on the apprentice. An apprentice is one who watches, learns, and also must do. If you want to become something that is already in the body of Christ, and that's really going to become something that's in the body of Christ. If you're going to become a worship leader, if you're going to become a teacher, if you're going to become a prophet, if you're going to become an evangelist, you must watch what someone else is doing in that particular area of ministry. You must watch them. What do they do? And those are the things that you that you have to do. I got to learn from them. If you come in and say, well, I know everything I need to know, maybe I can help them out. That's not going to work. You got to watch, you got to learn, but then you also have to get out there and you got to do it. If you do it your way, your opportunity will be lost. If you get someone and you watch how they're doing it and say, well, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. Your opportunity will be lost. You'll lose it. You got to go along and do it their way. Well, God's not showing me to do it that way. Then you're following the wrong spirit. Because if you are under someone as an apprentice, God will show you how to do it the way they're doing it. And then when you get out on your own, God will show you how to do it yourself. And how show you how to do it that will be unique to you. But right now, that's what you need to do. I remember that story that uh, Brother Keith tells. That his wife was over there cutting. And at first he said tomatoes, but then she corrected him and said it was pineapples. They were cutting pineapples. And um, she was cutting Brother Hagen's pineapples in his house. And he said, don't do it that way. Do it this way. And he, and she said, I've been cutting pineapples for a long time. I know how to cut pineapples. But that's how he wanted them cut. So, yes, sir. They cut the pineapples the way he wanted them cut. That's what you got to do. But some people, they want to get in there. No, no, this is, that's the wrong way to cut pineapples. Let me educate you in the right way. And you're no longer the apprentice. But we could spend time on that. In the Word of God, many people sat under and were apprentices. And they learned, but the day came when God put that mantle on them and they had to be ready for it. Now, it would seem that you would likely know, not know if you operate in the gift of healing, unless you operate in the general gift to lay hands on the sick. If you do not lay hands on the sick, you will never know if you have a gift of healing. 
And if you don't operate in the gift of healing, you'll never know if you have the gift of working in miracles. How are you going to know if you have the gift of working in miracles if you won't even operate in the gift of healing? And if you don't go out there and lay hands on the sick, you won't find out if you have a gift of healing or lay there dormant. You may have great ability, but somehow that needs to bubble up. That needs to come out. Well, if I have it, you know, people will just come ask me. No, they won't. They won't do it. But you can. Go out there and lay hands on people. So no matter how old you are, I don't care if you're three, four years old, go out there and lay hands on sick people and pray for them. The younger you are, the less you know to doubt. And the more likely you will have success. And the more success you have, the more you're going to want to go out there and do it. Stay with it. Now, it would also seem that you would not likely operate in the working of miracles without the gift of healing. And you probably won't operate in the work in the gift of faith if you don't operate in the working of miracles. There's a progression there from one to the other. And uh, as uh, time goes on here, in the weeks to come, we'll show you some of this. There's, as I mentioned before, there seems to be less of a difference between the working of miracles and the gift of faith than there is between the gifts of healings and the working of miracles. A little bit easier to tell that, that apart. But as we continue on here, you'll see, you'll be able to determine, oh, that's the gift of faith. This is the working of miracles. There is a difference between the two. A lot of it is how it's administered. Now, we just know these things exist. We have to go into the Word of God and find them. The only reason we know they exist is because Paul told us about it. He told us these were these, these are the gifts that are put in there. They just operated them in the Old Testament. Nobody taught them, all right, now operate in this gift. Nobody taught them that. They just operated them. But Paul came along. He taught us about it. These are the gifts. And he said, there's nine of them. You've got at least one of them going on in your life. You probably have more. You certainly have the potential to have more. But if you don't operate in the one that you got, why in the world are you going to find out there's anything other? So you ought to, we all ought to be out there looking for opportunities where we can lay hands on the sick, where we can speak words of edification and exhortation. Look for opportunities for this. Look for opportunities for God to tell you about things that are going on where you are not. And begin to operate in these these areas. As you do, more will be shown you that you can operate in. Would you would you all stand up with me? Father, you have given these gifts into the body of Christ that we can cut through some of the things that sin has brought on this world. It was not your desire for that young boy that was born into this family to be taken away. That's the enemy's desire. Your desire was to have that baby be born. The enemy didn't even want that baby to be born and did things to block it from coming. But the gifts were in operation and that what was blocking that baby from being born was shattered. But then the enemy decided we're going to come along here, we're going to take that son. And they came along with some things, however it was that the enemy had opportunity. But you didn't leave it there. Many people see the tragedies that go on in their life and find a way to justify that God desired that it happened. 
But this woman said, no, I'm going to the man of God to change what I see happening here. Our thinking needs to get changed that we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit being in operation to change the things that sin has brought into our life. Not just our own sin, but sin from being in a corrupted world. Sin that has things going around us that God does not desire. But these gifts cut through all that and bring us into a place of healing. Bring us into a place of knowledge and understanding. Supernaturally showing us things that we have no earthly way of knowing. These gifts are healed. Many times we as Christians, we go through our lives and we never draw off of these things. And life seems incredibly hard, very difficult. We wonder why God made it so hard for us. But if we would tap into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, those that you put into our life and those that you have put into the people around us, our lives can change. And what was difficult and what was hard can be turned around. Just as in this situation where this death of this boy was turned around so that he was alive again and brought that joy back to mom and dad and all those that were around. He'll bring joy back into our life. I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I cannot just be content with those around me operating the gifts and for me to glean off of what they have. I need to pursue them. They're here to empower my life. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pursue the gifts. As Paul said, pursue even the greater gifts. Go after them. They're there for you. They'll be there to help you. A few things before you go.